Huh? They got mad at Jesus. Why did they get mad at Jesus? Because he was healing on the Sabbath, and they were saying you're doing, you're uh, committing sin by doing work on the Sabbath. Was it actually a sin against God's law for him to heal on the Sabbath? No, it was not. God expects us to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for our rest, so we rest one day in honor of God and. So Jesus says to them, my father's working on the Sabbath, so I work on the Sabbath. And he said, basically, he told them, I have authority. Did he claim to have the same authority that the father has? Yes. Yes. Did he claim that they should be worshiping him the same way they worship the father? Yes. Okay. So we're good. So basically, the last, last week what we did was we talked about, Jesus was talking about the authority that he has, his authority because, huh? Uh, you're sitting too close to be talking now. I can hear you. We were just talking about that. He didn't go worship me like that. No, he said <laughs> that all men would honor me as they honor the Father, is what he said. So when he said, did you demand worship? He was like, all right, see what I did. I worship. <laughs> well, if he did that, would he have the right to do that? Yeah. Yes. Not in this not in this section he did not say worship me. But if you look in Revelation, they do worship the Lamb, they bow down before him and all that. So anyway. Good point. Thank you very much. Alright, so John chapter five, thirty one. What we're starting verse thirty one. What we're gonna see is the son remember last week the son said, I have authority to judge and I have the authority to give life. Does anybody get eternal life without going through the Son, without going through Jesus? No. Does anybody worship the Father without going through the Son? That means all the people that say, well, you know, we just all believe in the same God. We're just whatever. And for them, Jesus is just a good moral teacher. He's just a great man. He's just a a Gandhi or somebody else like that. Are they worshiping the same God that you worship? No, they are not. And that goes for all the Jewish people who believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If they deny the Son, they are denying the Father. So that's just what Jesus says. So now he's going to... He's going to um, he's going to exercise that authority and he's going to he's going to provide witnesses for his. He doesn't just walk up and say, hey, guys, I'm God. Nice to meet y'all. You know, he's going to provide some some witnesses, some testimony to it. So let's read verse 31. Um, Did they take third? No, there it is. If I bear witness, or remember Jesus is standing before these Jewish guys who are accusing him of breaking the law. He's already told them that, hey, I I have not broken the law. I'm God, and you should honor me the way that you honor the Father. I and the Father are one. Verse 31 says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, what he means right there is, in the Old Testament law, it said a matter is to be decided by two or three witnesses. One guy just couldn't come up and accuse Michael of stealing and they stoned Michael to death. He would have to have two or three witnesses to testify against him before that they would, you know, hear him in court. So Jesus is appealing to that section. He's saying, I don't just walk up here and say, hey, I'm God. He said, there's others that testify of me, and he starts to give us the witnesses. He said, verse 32, there is another that bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now he's going, I think... 
there's, you could say he might be talking about John the Baptist there in verse 32 because he goes on in 33 through 35 to talk about John the Baptist. But I think he's talking about the Father right there because right here, in a moment, he's going to say, you know, I, I don't need the, the testimony of men. But so I think it's the Father, but if, you know, it could be the Baptist. Verse 33, he introduces one witness, John the Baptist. You sent unto John, and he bore witness unto the truth. What was John's witness? That the brighter man was coming. Right. So basically, if you had to sum up John the Baptist's message, what would it be? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Okay. Did he identify who Jesus was? Yeah. Yeah. What did he say? When he saw Jesus, John the Baptist said what? Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin. He, all the Jews are around. They're all, you know, John's baptizing people. He sees Jesus. And remember the Pharisees came and asked John, who do you think you are doing this? Are you the prophet? Are you the whatever? So all these people are around John. He sees Jesus. He said, there he is right there. That's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So John bore witness to Jesus in front of multitudes of people, didn't he? He said, that, that's him right there. So Jesus didn't just come on the scene and say, hey guys, I'm the man, I'm God in human flesh, whatever. As he arrived at the Jordan where John was baptized and John bore witness to him. He said, there he is, there's the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist identified who Jesus was. He identified him as the Messiah. He identified him as the one who was to come. And they knew the prophecies of all these Jewish people, knew the prophecies of the coming Messiah. The people who Jesus are, are talking to right here are not just every every average you know everyday folks they are experts in the law they are pharisees they are the jews who if if people would come to you and say hey you have broken god's law they would be pharisaical jewish people that have god's law and they would say okay this is you broke section 5 paragraph 13 you know they would be those and so jesus is saying look if, if you're going to judge me, if we're going to put like a court of law deal on this thing and you're going to try to say that I'm not who I said I am, let me produce some witnesses for you. And the first one, he says, is John the Baptist. You were there. You Jews, you Pharisees sent men out to test John the Baptist to see if he was, you know, the Messiah, to see if he was a prophet. And as I was walking up the shore, he testified to the fact that I am the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay? So he he cites John the Baptist. 34 says, but I received not testimony from man. This is Jesus talking. He said, look, I, I don't really need John's testimony. He said, but I'm saying these things. He says, but these things I say that you might be saved. He was a burning lamp, talking about John, and a shining light. And you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. He's saying, now this is very important. I want you all to get this. Um, Jesus is saying, I'm not bringing up John the Baptist's name as a witness to who I am because I need some man to witness to me. He's going to, in a minute, he's going to say the father witnesses to me. He's going to say the scripture witnesses to me. He says, I'm bringing up John because I want you to be saved. I want you to hear the testimony that John has given. He said, because he was a shining light. He was giving the message. He was giving the truth. He was telling you, I was, I, I am the Messiah and 
I've come to take away the sins of the world. And all the people knew that John was a prophet. All the people accepted that. You remember there's a section, I'm thinking it's in, it may be in this gospel, but I'm sure it's in Matthew where, where the Jews come to test Jesus and they say, he, Jesus says, whose is John's baptism from heaven or from man? And they, the Pharisees go back and they're discussing among themselves and they say, if, if we say John's baptism is from man, then the crowd's going to be mad because, you know, we know he's a prophet. So they knew John was a prophet. What? Uh, along those lines, I was just thinking about John the Baptist. And John said, you know, he was explaining when the Pharisees came and asked him about Jesus. He said, hey, God told me when I see the Spirit land upon him and stay on him, right. that's the one. So they believed like you said, John the Baptist was the real deal because John says, hey, when God said this to me, right, that's going to be it. Right. And at first they were a little, uh, whatever, but over time they accepted John as a prophet. They accepted him as a prophet. They knew he, he, he garnered a great following, you know, among people. So much so that his disciples were getting mad when people started going to Jesus, you know. And John said, you know, this is why I'm here is to send you all to Jesus. And so the thing that I want you to see, like what you need to see is that... These guys who were questioning Jesus, they were talking to Jesus, they accept the, the testimony of John that a Messiah was coming and, and you know what, maybe this is even him, you know, but they would not submit to the man himself. You see what I mean? They accepted the testimony that it is true, that this is, this is he, this is what John said, but when the man himself, Jesus, the God-man, stood before them, they refused to submit themselves to them. They refused to accept anything he said. They refused to humble themselves before him. So it's like, it would be like, all y'all are sitting here and we're in church, so... If I went through the crowd and I said, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he, You would say yes to all those things. If I walked out here, I've been, you know, last couple weeks working in the hospital. And it's been, it's been really fun because 99.9% .9 of the people of whose hospital rooms I go into to pray with them or whatever, they believe in Jesus. You know, they believe there was a man named Jesus there. I mean, they're pretty much, they consider themselves Christian. Now, it's not my job to walk in there and say, oh, you're going to hell, we need to pray. You know, all I do is comfort. That's all I do. And, you know, if they want to talk about it, I tell them how to be saved. I tell them all those things. But here in Tennessee, I guess, we're in the Bible Belt. Just about everybody considers themselves Christian. So they believe the testimony that God sent His Son. They believe the testimony that God's Son died on the cross for sin. They believe the testimony that, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. But yet there are so many, and you know, I, I don't know who they are. I'm not the judge of those things, but there are many who just will not submit to the man himself. See, I can believe the testimony about Jesus. I can believe the history that surrounds the whole thing. I can believe there was a man. He really did die. He was God in human flesh. I can believe all those things. And what I'm doing is believing facts. But when it comes to believing in in him, when it comes to submitting myself to him, when it comes to making him the Lord of my life and, and following his ways. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. When it comes to doing that, that's a whole different thing. You see? That requires a person to do something. Yeah. The other, you can just accept and believe. It doesn't really require anything. Right. Right. And if you... 
The Bible says that when we believe in him, we're saved. So I'm not trying to complicate. When you believe in Jesus, you are saved. It's simple as that. But there is a difference between accepting facts about Jesus and believing in the man himself for me. I believe in him that he died for me. I believe that he was raised from the dead for me. I believe he's the Lord of my life. He's, the, you know, not that I'm perfect. I still fail, still sin, still do those things. You, you all know that. Y'all know me long enough to know what I'm talking about right there. But these, these, these guys who were trained in the law, they accepted the testimony of this man. And Jesus saying, I'm bringing up his testimony because I want you to be saved, implying that these guys who knew God's law better than anybody else were lost. <laughs> These guys who had God's law, who, who understood God's law, who knew the prophecies of a coming Messiah, who knew God's word probably better than anybody else, in order to be on the Sanhedrin in a Pharisee, you had to have the first five books of Moses memorized, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Deuteronomy, no, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. Does Leviticus come before Numbers? Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Numbers and Deuteronomy. Okay. Can you imagine memorizing them five? The books of Moses, the Torah? No. What it comes down to is that none of these people have faith. They did not have faith. They did not believe. It was as simple as that. They accepted the historical reality. That John, of John testifying that this was the Messiah. But when the Messiah stood before them and said, hey, I'm him, they refused to believe it. They just refused. Okay? So let's keep reading. <clears throat> Verse 35, verse 33 through 35 is all about John the Baptist. He's giving you the testimony of John the Baptist. He's saying, this is, this is one that testifies to me. 36 and 37, he said, these are my two other witnesses. The works that I'm doing are my witness, and the Father himself are witness to me. He says, but I have a greater witness than that of John. He said, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And it says, and the Father himself, which hath sent me, has borne witness of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. Okay. The works testify to him. What works? The miracles that he done, he was causing the the blind to see, the lame to walk, the, the all those things were, were testifying to him. Were they just magic tricks? Like, um, just because I can do woo miracles that testifies that testifies of me? No, because there had been precedent. There, there's always been tricksters that had come around that that uh, there still are today that that do their little woo, you know, and, and do their thing. What Jesus was talking about you remember uh there's a passage in isaiah i put it in your outline if you have it if not it's all good uh it's isaiah 61 2 where it says it says let me read it because i don't want to mess it up but that's the passage that said it's talking about the messiah and it's talking about somebody look it up and read it 61 1 and 2 the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Okay. 
What does it say after that? Next verse. To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Hmm. That must not be the one I was... Must be the wrong passage. Look, yeah, I know what I said. It must be the wrong. I must be I have the wrong reference. What about Matthew eleven five? Read that. G, is that's where Jesus went into the synagogue and he opened the Isaiah scroll and he started reading uh, the passage about you know to heal the heal the blinded eyes and the what does it say eleven five. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Okay, that's what, Jesus was in the temple right there, not the temple, but the synagogue, and he opened the Isaiah scroll, read that in Isaiah, I must have the wrong reference when I, I said Isaiah 61, but he read that in the scroll, and he said, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus was... Raising the dead, you know, he raised Lazarus, he raised the the centurion's daughter, he raised the, you know, raising the dead, he was curing the blinded eyes, he was doing those things, but those were the signs that the Messiah would do, that were prophesied that the Messiah would do when he came, and he was doing those signs. So these guys that were standing before him, accusing him, were not just regular people, they knew the law, they knew the prophecies of the Messiah, they knew what he was to do. And here was a man who John said was the Messiah who was doing the exact works that they were that the Messiah was supposed to do. So those works were a testimony to him that he was who he said he was. So the people standing in front of Jesus, they had John telling them there he is. They had the exact works and the prophecies that the Messiah would do being fulfilled in their city. You could not deny them. You could not deny the fact that blind people were seeing. You could not deny the fact that lame people we're walking. Uh, this whole passage is about is about a lame man that's walking, and they came to him because it was on the Sabbath. So you could not deny that the miracles were possible. Yet they still denied. They denied. They they uh, refused to submit themselves. To this man. And the, the last one was the father, wasn't it? It said, and the father himself testifies to me. I think it's 37. And the father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. When did the father bear witness of him? That's exactly right. It's not, it's not in this gospel because it starts with his ministry. It starts with the ministry of John the Baptist. But right when Jesus was baptized in, in, in Matthew and in Luke, right at the beginning of his ministry, John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And what happened? God, God the Father spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, remember, okay, all these people are around the Jordan. They're all watching John. They're questioning John. Who do you think you are coming baptizing these people? And John's telling them about Jesus. And then John points to Jesus and says, There is the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. All the people are still around. The Pharisees are still around. And then Jesus comes to John. John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan. The Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And the Father from heaven speaks and says, Says, this is my beloved son. And all the people heard it. The Pharisees heard it. All, all of them are right, right there. But they still refuse. Why do you think after all this testimony that this is the Messiah, would you stand right in front of him, look him right in the eyes and refuse to submit yourself to him? Verse 42 says, 
It does. What does it say? Because the love of God was not in them. Well, that's true. That's true. The love of God was not in them. They loved, they were, John said in uh, chapter 1 that men love darkness more than light. They love their sin more than they loved God. And they put more emphasis on their own ability. You know, I know the Torah. I know the law. That's exactly right. Exactly right. They were, they, they did not want salvation to be a gift. They wanted you to have to work for it. They wanted you to have to, right. They want, you have to be as good as me, you know, cause I'm doing all this stuff. And if you're not doing all the stuff I'm doing, then you can't be as high on the salvation chain as I am. And so when Jesus came, huh? Oh yeah. All the time. When Jesus came and says, here, I'm, I'm here to save this leper, this outcast, this nobody, this wretched sinner, this tax collector. You know, for them who had been working so hard, they were like, well, that's not fair. I'm a lot better than them. I do all these works and I do all this whatever. When the reality is they just didn't understand how pervasive sin was in their own life. I mean, one sin is enough to send you to hell forever, eternity. You know, just one little, one little, one little moment where you don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and bang, hell for eternity. And what's scary is you can't start from today. <laughs> like if you started from today and never sinned again, which is impossible, but let's just say it is, you started from right this moment and lived the rest of your life without sinning, you would still deserve hell because of what you've lived all the way up until today. There's, you have to be perfect from birth to death in order to go to heaven by your own works. And if you're not, then you need a savior, just like everybody else, okay? And so, the father testified to him, the works testified to him, and John the Baptist testified to him. He is giving them witness. And now he's going to, he's established his authority. I have the authority to judge. I have the authority to bring life. That's what we saw earlier in chapter five. Now he's going to exercise that authority and he's basically going to condemn all the people who are questioning. Let's look at, at the end of verse 37. He says, he says at the end, it says, you neither have heard his voice, talking about the father at any time, nor seen his shape, and you have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent him you believe not. Now imagine, okay, I'm, I'm a Pharisee. I've memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and you're going to tell me I don't have God's word in me? I'm here pointing out the law to you because you've broken the law and you're going to tell me that I don't have God's word in me. You see what he's saying? You see how shocking it would be for these guys listening to Jesus, for him to say, you don't know God's word. Uh, my whole life is spent studying God's word, Jesus. I mean, who do you think you are, Mr. Carpenter from Galilee? You know, I was born into the priesthood. I was trained in the scriptures from the time I was knee high to a grasshopper. And here you come from the country telling me that I don't know anything about the scripture. For them, it would probably have been like a, a big slap in the face. And even to people standing around, you know, you can almost say, Yeah. Well, they would have heard him present the witnesses. They would have heard him present the testimony. And I hadn't thought about it till just now, but man, you know, that had to have been embarrassing for them big religious, you know, because they were decked out in the robes and they had phylacteries, which were little boxes with scriptures in it. And, you know, they had all this stuff. And here's this old carpenter from Galilee saying, you don't know God. You don't know his word. You don't know nothing. It had to have been, had to have been a little rough. 
So you don't know the scripture. Verse 39 says, he says, search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and they are they which testify of me. Now, they thought the Jewish people, and it was a, it's a good thing for us, but they were so meticulous that when they copied scriptures, they copied one letter at a time and you could not go to the next letter without looking back to the first letter. And they counted how many letters were in like the book of Jeremiah. And if you got to the end of copying the book of Jeremiah and your number of letters didn't match the original number of letters, they chunked your whole deal and you had to start over. So, I mean, they were meticulous. And that's good for us because we have the scriptures transmitted accurately. But it got to be where... These guys standing before Jesus thought, just because I know the Bible, just because I know the Old Testament, because I know I've memorized the books of the law, that means that I got it going on. Me and God, me and God got our thing worked out. I'm a, I'm a righteous guy. I know his word. I know his whatever. And Jesus was saying, you think you have life because you know the scriptures or that you search the scriptures. He said, but the scriptures are the things that testify to me. And it says, you won't come to me that you would have life. Uh, 39 says... And you will not, 40 says, you will not come to me that you might have life. It's like, the, the only analogy I can come up with is, it's like a guy standing, you know, in the skyscraper uh, over the city. And he's looking out the window and he's just in awe of the beauty of the, of the city. You know, the lights, the, the whatever, the rivers. And then along comes this guy standing next to him and says, wow, that's beautiful, isn't it? He says, yeah, that's really beautiful. And the guy says, I wonder what kind of window this is. Wow, look at the look at the craftsmanship. This is a beautiful window. Look at the craftsmanship here. I'm going to take a sample of this stuff and I'm going to go analyze it. And, check. and he's all about looking at the window when the beauty of the landscape, the window's there to show you the landscape out there and he misses the whole landscape because he's looking at the window. The scriptures there are the window through which we receive the man, Jesus Christ, through which we receive salvation through him. Um, before before I was saved, I, I don't know how long you think it was, three or four years maybe? Three or four years. Oh yeah, you, you can't read my mind, can you? Oh okay, right, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well when I quit being a musician, you know, and quit all the stuff that goes along with that, um, I went back to the church. I was raised in the church, so I went back. Never crossed my mind that I wasn't a Christian, and I wasn't. But I, I started studying the Bible probably three or four years before I was actually saved. And I'm telling you, by by after three after three or four years, I mean I, I had some Bible knowledge. I mean I could tell you some stuff. I could argue with you. You know, if someone would come up and say whatever, I could argue points of doctrine. I mean I. I, I I knew what that book contained. I knew, you know, I knew facts about this and facts about that. I knew what this meant and what that meant and all those things. But I hadn't, I didn't know the man. I didn't know Christ. He hadn't saved me. He hadn't changed me. And I liken that to what these Jews were, were doing. They were studying the scriptures because they thought that if I can just get into this, if I can just figure this stuff out right here, this will give me life. This will give me joy. This will give me peace. This will give me happiness. I knew I was I was lost at the time, but I knew the answer was in this book. And so I took the book and I said, I'm going to find the answer. It's in this book. I'm going to find the answer. I want joy in my life. I want peace. I want eternal life. I want my sins forgiven. I want all those things. And it's in this book. The answer is in that book. But it wasn't until I met the man. 
that all that came. You see what I mean? You see, you see how that works? Um, you can get, and I love the Bible. I still study the Bible. I'm not, it's inerrant. It's infallible. It does, no mistakes. I'm not saying that, oh, the Bible is a secondary whatever. I'm saying the Bible is there as God's Word to point you to the Savior and to learn about the Savior and to meet the Savior. Those are the words of the God who created all this. It's, it's letters to you. How would you... Like Dana, my wife there, if, if, if she, we were not in contact and she sent me a letter, you know, and then, okay, I'm reading the letter. If, if I hadn't talked to her in a while, you know, I would keep the letter. I'd probably read it more than once. I would pawn over it. I would just, you know, write when I'd write her back, whatever. And then when I finally, when, what? That's so sweet. Said, did I get some points right there? When I finally, when she finally came back to me, when we finally reunited, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say, wow, hey, how you doing? But I got this letter and go off and play with my letter. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So that may not be a great example because it still makes, it, but it makes the Bible seem, uh, the Bible's way up there now. It's in inerrant word of God. I don't want to make it seem like now that you've met Jesus, you don't need the, uh, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. That letter was a part of who she is and the Right, right. You can study the Bible your entire life and know the facts, but still miss the relationship with the man, Christ Jesus, who will forgive your sins. That's what I'm saying. Make sense? Y'all got any questions, comments? The last couple verses before we go, it says... Uh, 41, I receive not honor from men. He's saying, I, I, I don't need... A man, the a mankind to testify me. He says, but I, he, what he's saying is, I don't need you to testify of me. He's already condemned them, saying you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the Father. And he said, and I don't need you to testify to who I am. It says, but I know you that you have not the love of God in you. He said, I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. He's basically telling them from verse 41 to 43 that you are separated from God. He says, if you don't receive me, if you don't believe me, then you don't know the father. He says, now, all these other guys who come, there were many before Christ and many after Christ that claimed to be, oh, I'm the one, I'm the Messiah, I'm the man, come to me. And all these guys, all these guys were accepted, not as the Messiah, but as teachers of the law, good, good, you know, people could follow them. And even John the Baptist was accepted. John came basically on his own testimony. He came and he said, God told me to baptize. Here I go. You know, and they they accepted him. They accepted him as John the Baptist, a prophet sent from God. Someone comes in his own name, you'll accept him. But because I come saying God is my father, they wanted to kill him. Remember what it said right before we ended last time? It said, and they saw all the more to kill Jesus, to destroy him, because he made he called himself the Son of God, making himself equal with God. That's what it said, verse 29 or 30, I think. It says, <clears throat> he, he condemns them because of their sin of pride. Verse 44, it says, how can you believe? He's saying, you can't believe. Which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only. What does that mean? He said, you can't believe in me because why? 
Yeah, you're too busy honoring each other. You're too busy. Listen, I mean, think about it. This guy's standing before Jesus. He's decked out in his Pharisee garments. He's probably, you know, he's probably one of the Sanhedrin or probably, you know, one of the ones that knows the law, the scribes and all them who studied the law and all this. They have phylacteries on them, which is it's little boxes that would hold scriptures in there. These are the guys that would stand out on the street corner and pray so all the people could see them. They would give out alms so all the people could see them. They would fast and they would let everybody know that they fasted so they would receive honor from men and this carpenter from Galilee this this guy from the countryside which has the testimony of the father the scriptures and John the Baptist comes and says I'm the son of man and you must worship me you must honor me as the father and what is the one thing that's going to keep me from honoring him you ain't nobody I'm somebody I am I know the law I am the Pharisee I am the religious guy I'm the one with God's word uh there's no way his pride would let him. He said, he says, how can you believe because you're too busy seeking the honor from men? You're too busy honoring each other. Y'all are, y'all are all about getting, you know, everything that you do, everything religious that you do is done so honor will be bestowed upon you. You want the best seats at the table. You want the honor in the marketplace. You want people to see you praying. You want people to see you fasting. You want all these things. He says, I mean, how can you believe when the only thing that you care about is honor from men and the honor that comes from God, you don't really care about. Do we still do that today? Yes. I mean, that's a no-brainer. That's a no-brainer. I mean, even us, you know, even us who are saved, you can catch yourself, you know, you can catch yourself doing... A good dating going, I feel really good about that. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah, and and catch yourself just uh, doing a good deed so that someone else will come and pat you on the back and say, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so wonderful. You're just so great, you know, you know? and then... You receive an honor from men. When Jesus said, oh, man, I wish I could remember where it was. It was like when you give alms, you, you don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. You know? And then the lady who, the widow who gave the two mites, you know, Jesus said she gave more than all the others because it was in secret and it was all that she had. And she didn't do it so anybody could see. She didn't do it. But these guys, he says, you, how can you believe when you don't want the honor that comes from God? You want your honor to come from other people, to see you, you know, to see you doing your works. Got it? Understand? And it says, let's end right here. It says, do you think that I will accuse you to the Father? There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom you trust. Wow, that shows them. How are they trusting in Moses? The law. That's exactly right. Moses wrote those first five books of the Bible. And they were searching the scriptures, thinking they had life in those scriptures, when in reality the scriptures were pointing to Christ. It says, there is one that accused you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses... You would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how shall you be believe my words? Now think about this. Now think about this. What he's saying is, you know all those books written by Moses that y'all trust in so much? He was talking about me. He was, he was pointing toward me. 
Have you ever read, and this is a point that I'm going through right now with, with the youth group. I'm going through the, right now we're in Exodus, but I'm going went through Genesis, Exodus, showing them how the Bible is one continuous story culminating in Jesus, not just a bunch of little stories slammed together, you know, in a single leather-bound book. And if you go all the way back... You know, right at the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve sinned, and right there in Genesis chapter 3, God gave a promise. He said, he said, he told when he was cursing the serpent, he said, I will put enmity between you and the seed of the woman. He says, and he will, the seed of the woman will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And that promise is fleshed out through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob, through the nation of Israel, through the, the people of Israel as they go off into captivity and the prophets and, and everything is culminated in Jesus who comes at the, at the start of the New Testament. But all of that stuff before, the tabernacle was a picture of Jesus coming. That's where the sacrifices were made. The temple was a picture of Jesus coming. The, the ark that Noah rode on was a picture of Jesus coming. It was, everything was pointing toward him. So he's looking at these guys and saying, man, you know the scriptures. You you know the law. You know what, what God has said, but you do not believe what God has said because if you believe that, you would come to me. Why? Why would he say, if you believe the law, you would come to me? Huh? That's, that's where their trust was. But why does the law push you to Jesus? He did fulfill all those promises. Exactly. Perfectly correct. But what does the law show you? Right. And that's exactly what the Pharisees had done. They had dumbed down the law so they could keep it. Didn't they? They had, they had basically replaced God's law with the traditions of men so that it was possible for them to work for their salvation. If they would have believed the law that God gave them, Paul says that the law is a schoolmaster that throttles your behind and pushes you toward Christ. The Ten Commandments, just take those for example, are mirrors for you to look at yourself and you can say, I'm a sinner. I can't keep these. I, even, you know, Jesus came and says, you know, even if you say I've never committed adultery, Jesus said if you look at with lust in your heart, you committed adultery. So, I mean, even, even the grievous ones, murder. Uh, James said if, First John said if you hate another in your heart, you committed murder. So, I mean, who hadn't hated somebody in their heart in their whole life? You know, when you look at those commandments, it's a mirror showing you just how ugly and how wretched you are. And what does that do? It'll either drop you down to hopelessness and despair or it'll push you toward a savior and say, I need him. I need him because I can't keep these things. If you, I, I, can't, I can't love God with all my heart, mind, and soul and strength every second of every day. I'm spitting all over the place when I'm talking. I can't do it. Every, every second that clicks by the clock, if I'm not loving with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I'm sinning. 
You know, if, if I look back at my thought life just for yesterday, thought life, the things that I did, the things that I didn't do, you know, all those things, sin, sin, sin everywhere, and the smallest sin is enough to condemn me, what's that going to do? It's going to drive me to the Savior. Say, I need you. I have to have you. I, I need you to save me from my sins. It's not just a matter of, of accepting facts about who this man was or facts about what God is and who God is and what he's doing. It's about me in a personal relationship with the one who saved me from all my sin. Make sense? Go ahead. Oh, no, it's not. That's the point. That's the point. We, it, all the time. If you, uh, the reason why I think, it's just my opinion. I could be wrong. I don't think so, though. <laughs> yeah, well, you wouldn't want a Sunday school teacher that says, yeah, I'm wrong. But anyway, the reason why there's so many people today who are what I would call like false converts, uh, people who claim to be Christian, but you know, and I'm not the judge of who is and who ain't, but but in their life you just don't see any kind of fruit whatsoever, you don't see anything, is because we've gotten away, and I say we, I mean the church large, thankfully not here at this church, but the the stuff you hear on TV, the Christian music, the Christian wonder, we've gotten away from talking about the law and sin and all those things. It's not about it's not about you've broken God's law and you will be punished. There's a Savior that will save you. It's about, man, God will just make you feel good. He'll make you, man, it's just sweet. Like with the same teachers and what you're talking about, they dumb down the law. I mean, it's no different than people are dumbing down the Bible, you know, in the law. And who Christ is, they're dumbing all that down so that they can go, yeah. I'm not so bad. Well, I, heard a, I even heard a preacher. This is a good preacher. I mean, not on TV. I heard him. He did a chapel at the hospital. I know this guy believes right. I know. I mean, he and I are brothers in Christ. I know for a fact. I don't know. I mean, you know what I mean. From everything I can see, everything I can tell, this guy believes Scripture right down the line. He and I would agree on everything, you know, but gets up to preach and says, God, Jesus came to take away your hurt and your pain and to give you joy, you know? And I'm sitting there going... Yeah, he did, but he came to save you from your sins, you know, and you know, it's like you can't have one without the other. He did come to give you joy and you will have joy. He did come to give you peace. He did come to stop your hurts, but he does that by saving you from your sin. And if you tell people, you know, come try this, Jesus, he'll he'll make you all warm and fuzzy on the inside. They probably will come to that Jesus. But if they don't repent of their sin, if they don't trust in Him to save them, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so that's where they were. They wanted, they wanted to love the Scripture, love the law, work for their righteousness, be religious, and and they wanted to do all that, but they did not want to come to the Savior. Okay? Now what we're going to see next, next week, I'll send you all the outline out. We're going to start in John chapter 6. I don't exactly know how we're going to do this because there's like 70 verses in John chapter 6. So I'll have to break it up some kind of way. And I don't want to break it up into like five weeks on John 6. So I I don't know what we're going to do. But we're going to break it up into two or three weeks probably. uh, And I'll try to get through it. At this rate, it's going to be a while before we get through John. So I'm going to try to speed it up as best I can. Okay? Anybody have anything before we go?
All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus. I thank you he came to die for us. Lord, I just pray, God, that you would be with us as we go into service, that we would hear your word preached, God, that we would rejoice and uh, sing praises to you, that the, the honor and fruit of our lips would be glory to you. God, I ask that you'd be with Brother Eddie as he's preaching and that you would just uh, touch him so that we could, uh, we could receive something through him from you. And God, I thank you so much that uh, you made it so easy that Jesus came, that a, a little child could come to him. And uh, Father, we just thank you that you've released us from the burden of working for our own salvation, working for our righteousness. And Lord, be with us as we go into John 6 and help us to learn what you'd have us to know. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool.